that in this day and in this hour you are raising up a people who walk in the Word and in the Spirit. And they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word. They walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word. They walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word. They walk in the Spirit and they walk in the Word and they walk in the Spirit and they walk walk in the word and they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word they walk in the spirit and they walk in the word hallelujah hallelujah Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God is raising up a people in this day and in this hour that know how to walk in the balance of the Word and the Spirit. Not getting out of line either way. The Word without the Spirit is dry. The Spirit without the Word leads to foolishness. But the balance of the Word and the Spirit together produces life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A scripture the Lord dropped in my spirit concerning the balance of the Word and the Spirit. You can, you can take this and meditate on it for yourself. Psalm 40 and verse 7. There's a prophetic word concerning Messiah. And he said of himself, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. How can I contact God? He's in the volume of the book. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. How can I get hold of God? Lo, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And I come in the volume of the book. Hallelujah. So when you delve into the Word of God, expect Him to show up. Expect Him to come. And as you begin to do that, then you'll walk in the balance of the Word and of the Spirit. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Hallelujah. A balance of the Word and of the Spirit. The realm of the Spirit is not some weird, strange, hocus-pocus, twilight zone, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do sort of a place. It is a well-ordered, structured system. It is a well-ordered, structured Realm, And you learn to walk in that realm by the Word, listening to the Spirit. Now Satan wants to present the Spirit realm as this weird, spooky, strange sort of a place because he wants to keep you scared enough you stay out of it. But once you begin to walk in the Spirit, you become the tool of his demise. 
Because actually, even though he is a spirit being, he's been barred from the realm of the spirit. Did you know that? He was kicked out. He is a spirit being in an old man's land. And the closest thing that he has, in, as far as dimensions go, the closest thing he has to the spirit realm is a realm called the suke realm. The psychic realm. And that's the counterfeit. Amen. But we walk in the real deal. Amen. Hermano brought Robert. You got something? Yes, sir. Yes. 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 We are in the book. I like that. In the volume of the book, it is written of you. In fact, I thought Robert's going to preach my message. In the volume of the book, it is written of you. And if you read the book of Acts, it's very interesting because when you come to the end of Acts chapter 28, it just cuts off. You know why? Still being written. And when you get to heaven... God will take you to the book and say, here's the chapter you're in. Because yeah. <laughs> we're in the volume of the book. Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. You say amen to all that? Amen. Well, we're going to get into the volume of the book. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I want you to go with me this morning to two places. Turn with me to John chapter 8 and also to the book of Matthew chapter 16. John chapter 8, Matthew chapter 16. Thank you, Lord. I'll let you look both of those up. We're going to read a very familiar passage out of John 8. Thank you, Lord. John 8, verse 31. Jesus is speaking. My brain is already shutting down and I'm having trouble seeing numbers. <clears throat> verse 31, <clears throat> or verse 30, says, And he spake these words, as he spake these words, many believed on him. 
Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him. This is a message to the believers. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If you continue in My word. Now the word continue there is the Greek word meno. It's the same word translated abide. In John 15, for example, where Jesus said, You abide in Me, My words abide in you, ask what you will. And it will be done unto you. If you continue or abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I want to tell you, one of the ways the truth makes you free is when you know the truth, then you begin to know the lie. When you know the truth, it's, it's, it's very easy to discern the lie when you know the truth. If you go down here to the 44th verse for just a moment. <clears throat> King James is very interesting. Jesus is speaking about Satan. He said, You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So when you know the truth, then you're able to peg Satan. You're able to peg his strategy. Cindy showed me this many, many years ago, John 8, 44 out of the NIV. It is a very intriguing verse of Scripture, the way they put it. He said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was, a murder, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, I like this, when he lies, he speaks his native language. Man, that's powerful. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But Jesus said, if you continue in my word... Then are you my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, again, he said this to people that believed on him. You can go back and read this chapter and realize that Jesus is in the midst of a discourse. And as he's teaching and ministering the word, he begins to pick up in his spirit that faith is rising up on the inside of the people that are listening to him. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And he begins to pick up that they are believing on him as Messiah. And he says to those which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. One of the things I want to bring to your attention is there is a vast difference between being a believer and being a disciple. The body of Christ is made up of believers. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus? Have you received Him as your Lord and Savior? Yes! You are a believer in Jesus. But becoming a disciple, on the other hand, is another matter. Because if you're going to be a disciple, you have to continue. You have to abide. You have to stay in His Word. And then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, 
Uh, if you continue in my word, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He's talking here about revelation. Revelation from the Spirit of God through the Word of God brings forth truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. So he's talking here about revelation. You'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. One of the things, I, I've been doing this a while. I've been in the ministry nearly 40 years. I know I don't look my age, but. But I've had an opportunity to observe a lot of things in those nearly almost four decades. Seventeen will be four decades. One of the things that I've noticed, sometimes it's amusing and sometimes it makes me sad, is the fact that we have substituted education for revelation. That's a dangerous thing. And again, sometimes I'm amused by it and sometimes I'm very, very saddened by it. And don't misunderstand me, I'm not against Bible education. I mean, I've got a Ph.D. behind my name and it doesn't stand for post hole digger. Okay? And if the Lord led, and if we had a lot of people that were interested, and the Lord told me to do it, I would love to start LCU again. We had LCU for... What was it? Three years? Two years? Three years? We were an extension campus. I loved it. So I'm not against Bible education. Don't misunderstand me. I, I think it's very important. I think it is very uh, necessary to be educated in the Word of God. But again, in a lot of areas, we've substituted education for revelation. We've substituted being doctrinally correct for truth. And there is a difference. There's a big difference. And one of the major things that I've noticed in my observation is when you substitute education for revelation, many times what it will do is release a spirit of Gnosticism in the church. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And there is a spirit of Gnosticism, and one of the aspects of Gnosticism is that when people have a Gnostic spirit, they worship knowledge. And one of the, one of the side, I don't want to say fruit, but one of the side results of a Gnostic spirit, a person that walks in a Gnostic spirit thinks that the more they know, the more spiritual they are. I know more than you do. And a lot of that comes, once again, from substituting education for revelation. And it's a very dangerous thing because when people get caught up in that, they end up on a treadmill that they can't get off of. And Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 3, 7, They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth they may have all kinds of degrees they have, may have been to every bible class you can possibly think of 
But they never, they never arrive. They never get there. They never begin to walk in revelation from the Spirit of God. And I, when I was looking at this yesterday, I started thinking about Clarence. Y'all know who Clarence is? You ever see It's a Wonderful Life? He's an angel second class with no wings. And people that get caught up in that, that system of I need to know more, I need to know more, I need to know more, I need to know more. People that get caught up in that, they're continually an, a second class Christian with no wings. Because they never come to the place where they begin to walk in revelation from the Spirit of God. And they never come to a place where they begin to hear God for themselves. And I want you to know, it is the will of God that you know the truth. In 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Paul said it, said it this way. He said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. Now what happens when you get saved? What, what, what prompts you to get saved? What happens when you get saved? You become a believer. But there's more to walking with God than just being saved. Who would have all men to be saved and... To come into the knowledge of the truth. And people that begin to walk in the knowledge of the truth are people that go beyond just being a believer and they become a disciple. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Not the education, but the truth. And I've heard people say that. Again, I've heard people say this, and to me it's kind of amusing, but at the same time it also makes me sad. I've heard people say, well, I'm taking discipleship classes in my church. It's almost kind of a misnomer. Because you really can't learn discipleship in a classroom. In fact, I'll give you my discipleship class. You ready? I can do it in 30 seconds or less. You ready? It's real simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself and love your neighbor beyond yourself for a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Class over, go do it. How many of you know that's easier said than done? (laughs) but the truth of the matter is that's the whole crux of discipleship when you get right down to it love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul all your strength all your mind all your life love your neighbor as yourself and then love your neighbor beyond yourself that basically boils down to discipleship again you don't learn discipleship in a classroom do you know how you learn discipleship You learn discipleship when all hell is breaking loose in your life and you don't think you can take another step. You don't think you can take another breath and you're really not even sure that you want to. But yet by the Spirit of the living God you reach down on the inside of you and cry out for the mercy and the grace of God and His strength begins to flow through you and you make the determination I will not quit, I will not lose, I will not give up and I will win. Glory to God. That is when you're going to learn something about discipleship. 
that's when you're going to begin to know the truth. In the middle of the night when you're there all alone and hurting so bad you can't hardly stand it and you try to call brother and sister so-and-so on speed dialing your phone's out of power. And it's you and God. That's when you're going to learn some things. That's where discipleship starts. Discipleship is rooted in commitment. Commitment begins with a decision. Not an emotion, not a feeling, not a let's get high on Jesus and cheerlead for a while, but a concrete, I will walk with God no matter what. That is the beginning of discipleship. Now, let me say a couple of things to you about discipleship. Discipleship, um, and and again, this gets over into the the, the, the education thing. A lot of people think discipleship is... Well, let's see, I'm a disciple of Jesus. I get up and I pray in the Holy Spirit for two hours and then I get in the Word for two hours and then I do this for two, an hour or two and then I go do this and then I go do that and then I go do this and then I go do that and da-da-da-da-da because I'm a disciple of Jesus. That's not discipleship. You need to realize that discipleship is not regimentation. I got caught in that early on in my walk with God. It's a dangerous thing. Discipleship is not regimentation. Discipleship is simply listening to God and do what He says do when He says do it. I've shared this with you before, but when I was at, when I was at Ramah, we had Brother Copeland come in and we had a Q, a Q&A, question and answer. And people were constantly trying to find out, Brother Copeland, how much time do you spend studying the Word? Brother Copeland, how much time do you spend in prayer? Brother Copeland, how much time do you spend doing this and 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 this? And this? In other words, how do you schedule your day? And his response was, if God says, go get on that rug for eight hours, I'm there for eight hours. If God says, go do this, I go do this. If God says, go do that, I go do that. And if you were to look at his life, or look at anybody that has that kind of a lifestyle that just is simply listening to God and doing what God says do when God says do it, many times on the outside, it may appear to be undisciplined. But the truth of the matter is you're listening to the Spirit of God and flowing with Him. And so, discipleship, of course, you know that word, uh, that word is rooted in discipline. But discipline is not regimentation. Again, it's just listening to God doing what God says do. It's that simple. Now, <clears throat> let me share a couple of things with you. Have you made any New Year's resolutions? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, give you, let me give you a clue. 
Don't make New Year's resolutions. Sow seeds. Now let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, years ago, <clears throat> years ago, I asked the Lord, I, I was reading this scripture, Romans 8, 36 and 37, says, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I asked the Lord, I said, what does it mean to be more than a conqueror? And the Lord said, a conqueror wins by force. But when you're more than a conqueror, you win by the seed. Why? Because when you plant a seed, Jesus said the kingdom operates this way. When you plant a seed, it grows up and becomes greater. So you overcome by the seed. Now, instead of making New Year's resolutions, sow seed. Now, what do you mean, Kenneth, what do you mean by that? Well, <clears throat> I'm making a commitment to prayer, glory to God. I'm going to pray every day. And what most people do is they determine they're going to pray every day, starting off the New Year's, I got this resolution, or I'm going to spend so much time in the Word. And they, I'm going to pray an hour a day, two hours a day, bless God, I'm, I'm going to do this. Guess how long that'll last. Hmm? You know why? Because the kingdom was never intended to function that way. Let me tell you what do what you need to do. If you determine I'm going to spend time in the Word every day, set aside five minutes. If it's prayer, set aside five minutes. That's your seed. If it's working out, if all you can do is five minutes, <laughs> do five minutes. But start doing it every day. And the seed will begin to grow. And, and your, your life and your lifestyle will begin to change. And <clears throat> when the devil comes against you, and you've prayed your five minutes, and you spent your five minutes in the Word, and you spent your five minutes working out, or whatever it is you've made a commitment to sow toward, and Satan comes against you and says, Well, is that the best you can do? Tell him, Yes! <laughs> but it will grow. It will increase. And it will become greater. Now, what I want to talk to you about this morning, and I just wrote this down, I just now read it. Years ago, <clears throat> I heard Gloria Copeland make this statement, and it's absolutely the truth. She said, in consistency lies the power. That's absolutely true. In consistency lies the power. You're really going to get a whole lot further down the road committing to five minutes a day in prayer and doing that every day than determining, man, I'm going to get in here and pray four hours. Even if you, even if you make the determination, uh, man, I'm going to pray an hour a week. You're really going to make more progress breaking it down to five minutes a day than you are praying one hour a week. Why? Because inconsistency lies the power. Okay.
Now, <clears throat> go with me to Matthew chapter 16 now. I want to talk to you <clears throat> this morning, at least begin, talking to you about discipleship. And what we're going to do this morning, or begin this morning, is talk about the discipleship of Peter. And this morning, well, let's say this to you. When you, when you look at Peter and how he, he actually became a disciple, there is a positive side to it and there's a negative side. And this morning we're going to look at the positive side and then we're going to look at the negative side. And don't get bummed out on the negative side because in order for power to flow, there has to be a positive-negative circuit. And so there's a positive and a negative side to this. There's two sides to the coin. We're going to talk about, um, again, the positive side this morning. The thing about, the thing about it is with, with uh, Peter... I don't think, other than maybe Paul, I don't think there's anybody else in the New Testament that was so um, dramatically transformed than the Apostle Peter. I mean, when you, when you look at his, <laughs> the things he said and did in the Gospels, and then you go into the New Testament and you, you look at his letters, First and Second Peter, uh, they're not written by the same man. There was such a change and such a transformation on the inside of this man. He, he wasn't even the same person by the time God got through with him. Now, I'm, I'm not taking away from the new birth. I'm not taking away from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, those were, those were major uh, impetus factors where his transformation was concerned. But I want to tell you... Uh, but just being born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost is not enough to bring a transformation. Because if that were true, then everybody that was born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost would be different. And you know, there's a lot of, pe a lot of flaky people that are born again and baptized in the Holy Ghost. And a lot of them, I'd rather do business with the world than I had with them. Isn't that true? Because there's no change. So there was more to the new birth, there was more to the transformation of Peter than the new birth and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so what we're going to do this morning is begin talking about his transformation, his change. I really believe 2016 is going to be a marvelous year. And I'm not saying that just to pump you up. I am saying that because I believe it. I have an excitement in my spirit about 2016 that truthfully I haven't had for a while. But I'm excited about this coming year. I think it's going to be a very, a very grand year for the body of Christ. Now, Matthew chapter 16, <clears throat> verse 13, says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And thus I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now notice what Jesus said to him. Peter made the declaration, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus was telling this man, or, or recognizing the fact that what you're saying, you're saying by revelation. In other words, you, you didn't get my identity from, from this physical, natural world. You didn't find out who I was based on what you could see or touch or taste or smell or hear. You realized who I am. You realized I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. You realized that because it was given to you by revelation of the Father. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. Or in other words, your five physical senses didn't reveal this unto you. But my Father which is in heaven. Now there's an interesting play on words here. He said, Blessed art thou Simon bar Jonah, or Simon son of Jonah. The word Simon means to hear. H-E-A-R, to hear. And so there's a little bit of a, a play on words here. Blessed art thou, let me, say, let me just say it this way and you can get it. Blessed art thou, hearing one, for flesh and blood did not reveal it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you've heard from heaven. You've heard from heaven, hearing one. And you've heard from my Father. Blessed art thou, hearing one. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now watch verse 18. Peter's gotten a revelation now. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 18. And I say also unto thee, now, when I read this the other day, that word also just stuck out. I say, also. I like that. Because in using that word also, Jesus is doing a couple of things here. Number one, Jesus is identifying Himself with the Father. In other words, He said... Peter, you've heard from heaven, you've gotten a revelation of my, from my Father, and I say also. And he said in John 10, 30, the Father and I are one. See, So Jesus is adding to what the Father has said. He is equating himself with the Father. And I say 
also unto you. Now, not only is he equating himself with the Father, but he is about to add, listen carefully, he's about to add to the revelation that Peter had already received. You've heard from my Father, you've heard from heaven, you've received a revelation, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Now that's very interesting. Listen. Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? What did he say? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turned to him and he said, And thou art Peter. Thou art the Christ. Thou art Peter. Thou art the Christ. Thou art Peter. In other words... When you find out who Jesus is, then you'll begin to find out who you are. Do you get that? When you find out who Jesus is, you'll begin to find out who you are. There is a contrast or a comparison here between thou art. There is, there is a, a declaration of identity on both sides. Thou art the Christ. Thou art Peter. <laughs> So again, when you find out who He is, then you'll begin to find out who you are. Now, watch this. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Now the word Peter there in the Greek is the word Petros. P-E-T-R-O-S. Petros. The word Petros refers to a small, solid individual stone just like a rock you'd hold in your hand a small solid individual stone now listen it is the name of someone who is solid secure and stable It's the name of someone who is solid, secure, and stable. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, <laughs> and you're Peter. You're solid, you're secure, you're stable. Now, when you read what Jesus said and you understand that the meaning of that name, your first question is going to be, have you met Peter? In the New Testament, there is not anybody more insecure and unstable and more emotion rule than Peter. The guy is as, as unstable and unpredictable. He's liable to go off and say or do anything. You don't know what Peter's going to do. 
He's prideful. He's arrogant. He's insecure. He's unstable. He's mouthy. He's emotional. And you just called him Petros. I mean... <laughs> Mark chapter 4, Jesus was talking about people that received the word. 4, 16 and 17. These are they likewise which are sown on stony. <laughs> stony ground. Who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness. But have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. Afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake. Immediately they are offended. Listen. Peter was the poster boy for that. If he got. I, this guy was so ruled by his emotions. I mean if he got a little bit of revelation. Or, or you know. He, he got <clears throat> something from the word. Woo! He was so excited. But you let the enemy come against him just a little bit. Oh dear God. This Christian stuff. And all of that could take place in a five minute period of time. I didn't put it down but I, I should have. I thought of this yesterday and didn't put it in my notes. But the Lord's bringing it up. There's an interesting verse of scripture. In the Old Testament, the anointing of God came on Jacob to prophesy over his sons. And the firstborn son, a man by the name of Reuben, and when Jacob began to prophesy to him, he said, You are as unstable as water, therefore you will not excel. That was Peter. If there was anybody that was disqualified for success, it was Peter. And Jesus turned around. That was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, yeah, you're Peter. <laughs> well, what was going on here? There was, first of all, an exchange of revelation. Are y'all getting hot? Y'all comfortable? Must be the anointing. I'm about to burn up. Um, there was an exchange of revelation here. Now y'all stay comfortable. I'm, there, no, I have to be pretty. There was an exchange. Why are you laughing? My question is, why do you laugh? I want, I want to be pretty. And the audience roared with laughter. Now, um, that's exactly what he was doing. But here's the thing. When, when Peter said that, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You need to understand, you couldn't tell who Jesus was by looking at Him. You couldn't tell it. Now, somebody said, yeah, but He preached that He was the Christ. So did a lot of other people. 
You go back and look at history. There were tons of people going around, particularly back in Jesus' day, going around proclaiming they were the Messiah. But what they were trying to do was gather enough people behind them to, to, to form an army and overthrow Rome. Oh, that was a very, actually, much more common message than what you might think. I am the anointed. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Jesus came along preaching that he was the Christ. And Peter got it by revelation. You are him. You are him. Here's the thing. You couldn't tell who Jesus was by looking at him. You couldn't tell that Simon was Peter by looking at him. You, you, you hit it on the head, Lucille. Jesus was releasing his faith in Peter. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. You're Peter. You're Petros. You're solid. Was he acting like it? No. He was anything but what Jesus said he was. But now, <clears throat> from the very beginning, now I want, to, want you to realize this. From the very first time Jesus and Peter met, or Jesus and Simon met, Jesus changed his name. John 1.42, talking about Andrew, says, And he brought him, brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The word Peter is the Greek form, Petros. Cephas is the Aramaic form. Mean the same thing. I got so tickled. Jesus has a sense of humor. Do you know that? <laughs> I read that. You shall be called Cephas. A stone. And he was calling him that when he was anything but. <laughs> and I was doing notes yesterday. <laughs> and... The Lord said, when I called him Cephas, I was releasing my faith. I said, yes, sir. He said, I was calling him Cephas when he was still being a doofus. <laughs> so it wasn't based on how he acted, was it? But here's the thing. There was, and I'm going to come, come back to this in just a second. But when he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He turned around and said, thou art Peter. There was, even though Jesus had been calling him Cephas or Peter from the beginning, there was, there was a transfer of responsibility here. And I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. But there was something very dramatic. This actually was the very beginning of Peter's discipleship. Now, he had been walking with the Lord for quite a while. 
But this actually was the, the, the kickoff point. And we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. Now, verse 17 again. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Petros. And upon this rock, and the word rock there in the Greek is a different word than Petros. It is the Greek word Petra. And those of you that are vintage, like me and Lucille, we were talking about vintage rifles this morning. Those of you that are vintage like us, you remember the old rock group Petra, the Christian rock group. Um, the word Petra refers to a huge, massive rock like the rock of Gibraltar, like a mountainous rock. Very, very different. He was not saying here, I'm going to build the church on Peter. But he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, what was the rock? Well, I think it refers to, to more than just one thing. First of all, Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. First of all, Jesus himself is the rock. In fact, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3.11. He said, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. So I think this refers first of all to Jesus Himself. Secondly, I think it refers to the revelation of who Jesus is and our faith in that revelation. Because all revelation is rooted in the person of Jesus. On this rock I will build my church. No man comes into the kingdom of God without a revelation of Jesus. If nothing else, it's a revelation of He loved me and He died for me. He did bear my sin on the cross. So the rock could also refer to the revelation of who Jesus is and our faith in that revelation. But here's another one. It could also refer to Jesus' revelation of us and who we are in Christ Jesus. And on this rock, I will build my church. He's wanting to mold us, shape us, and transform us. And Peter himself would write years later and say, We are living stones being builded together for a habitation of God. So it could refer again to the revelation or Jesus' revelation of us and who we are in Christ Jesus. Number four, just very simply, it could refer to Jesus' faith in us. A lot of people never think about that. But you need to realize, my brother and sister, we are in a covenant with God. And because we are in a covenant with God, God never demands anything of us that He will not do Himself. And you hear, you know, you hear all the time, have faith in God, trust God, have faith in God, believe in God, trust Jesus. 
All of that is true. All of that is our part of the covenant. But I want to tell you that because of that covenant, God has faith in you, God believes in you, and God trusts you. A lot of people don't realize that. But I want to tell you, that revelation is one of the foundations of discipleship when you realize God believes in you. So he said, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Literal Greek, the powers of death shall not prevail against it. Now, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this has always bothered me. I think it's been messed up, misinterpreted. And I never, never really until past day or so did I get the revelation that satisfied my spirit of what Jesus was talking about here. Within the context, Jesus was not talking about binding and loosing the devil. Nor was he talking about some sort of special dispensation that he gave to Peter to bind and loose. Jesus was using terminology that Peter would have understood. He's using terminology that was used by, by the rabbis. Now, in order to understand what Jesus is talking about here, don't lose your place in Matthew, in Matthew 16. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 6. <clears throat> How much time have I got? Oh, I'm good. I can go on and on and on. The Energizer Bunny. Proverbs chapter 6. Verse 20. Everybody got it? You ready? Okay. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Verse 21. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie, tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. What? The commandment. When you go, it shall lead thee. When you sleep, it shall keep thee. And when you awake, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. See, Robert, I thought you were going to preach my deal here. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, my brother and sister, if that's not an outline of discipleship, I don't know what is. Isn't it? But notice he uses the word binding. Binding. In other words, go back over here Matthew 16 now. In other words, Jesus was not referring to some special dispensation. He wasn't talking about binding and loosing the devil. He wasn't giving, talking about the keys of the kingdom. He was not really even specifically talking about authority. I realize keys represent authority in the Bible. But if we were to phrase it today, Jesus was telling him, 
Here's how it works. We use the same terminology. I'm going to give you the key. I'm going to show you how this works. Here's the key. Now watch what he said in verse 19. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Here's how the kingdom of heaven works. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I said to you earlier that this event, this exchange between Jesus and Peter was the beginning of Peter's discipleship. I told you that there was a transfer of responsibility. From the very beginning, Peter had been carried, or say it this way, Simon had been carried on Jesus' faith. You're Cephas, you're Peter, you're Peter, you're Cephas, you're Peter, from the very beginning. But now, there's been a revelation released to Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, I say also unto thee, you're Peter. In other words, what he was saying to him was, Peter... You know who I am. Or Simon, you know who I am. But Peter is who you are. Listen. Heaven says, this is your identity. Heaven says, this is who you are. And you have the choice. You can bind yourself to that and become that. Or you can reject that identity and stay Simon for the rest of your life. You have a choice. You know who he is. But do you know who you are? 2016 is going to be a year where you find out who you are in him. Robert said it earlier, not, is, not only is Jesus in the volume of the book, you're in the volume of the book. And you have the same crossroads set out before you. You can, either, you can either agree with heaven and say, this is who God says I am, then that's who I am. Or you can disagree and stay your plain old miserable, pitiful self. Your choice. Somebody said, where do I start? Well, let me draw from Brother Hagin here for a minute. Back 40, 50 years ago, actually 40 plus years ago, he wrote a book, little book called In Him. little mini book. Where he taught on being in Christ Jesus. We are in Him. We are in Christ Jesus. And he gave this suggestion. He said, take your Bible, take your concordance, and find everywhere in the New Testament, particularly the letters, go through the New Testament and find every verse that says, in Him, in whom, in Christ. In Him, in whom, in Christ. 
And he said, when you go through there, when you go through there, and you read those scriptures, it's describing who you are. One illustration right off the bat, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You read that and you receive that identity. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm not Simon. I'm Peter. <laughs> I'm a new creation in Christ. That's who I am. Brother Hagin in the back of that book found 133 references. And he said there's more, but he said they listed the 133. So that's a good project. But you have the option of either accepting or rejecting. Let me tell you how this works. I've shared this story, but I like to hear me tell it, and some of you haven't heard it. We were living in Oklahoma. We'd been married about a year or so, maybe two years by this time. We lived in a town that would make Menard look like a metropolis. <laughs> 400 people. <laughs> and we were so broke. We were beyond broke. And I felt like an absolute, total, disastrous failure. And so, I'm sitting at the table and I'm looking at the paper. This was in the morning. And I'm looking at the paper. The one is, I'm going to go get a job. Of course, you've got to drive 40 miles to go get a job. And i got no gas. But I'm going to go get a job. So I'm sitting there looking at the paper and I'm looking at the one ads. And I, I'm telling you, I was feeling so low and feeling so bad, you know, like they like they say, do chin-ups on the curb or, yeah, walk under a snake's belly wearing a top hat or something like that. I mean, it's just awful. And I'm sitting there at the table and I'm going through the want ads and I got a couple of things circled and I fold the paper up and I'm starting to walk out the back door to go find a job. And I'm reaching for the doorknob and I feel this hand on my shoulder and Cindy spins me around and she stuck her finger in my face and she said, Kenneth Hyatt, I believe in you. I didn't know what to do with that because I didn't believe in me. Because in the flesh what I wanted to say, what is your problem? Why? <laughs> Can you not see what a disaster I am? Well, sure she could. She was living it with me. <laughs> but I tell you, that infused such a strength into me. Because I'll be honest with you, growing up, I didn't have that. I'm 60 years old and still didn't, don't have that from, from my folks. But I didn't have that growing up. It was... Good job, you can do better. Okay. But she said, Kenneth Hyde, I believe in you. And I tell you, I don't know that I don't know where I'd be today if she hadn't said those words. I mean that. That gave me the strength to go one more day. And then one more day. And then one more day. And so on. 
after she did that, <clears throat> I found this scripture, and this may help you. This, this scripture has blessed me <laughs> through the years. You know, you can say a lot about me and Cindy and uh, derogatory, and it may be true. But I tell you what, one thing you cannot say is that we're unfaithful. If God tells us to do it, we'll be there. We'll do it. We have been faithful to God. In me, that started, I think, that day. But I found this scripture and it really, if you want to know for me, the secret, the key for me, just doing it anyway. Is this scripture right here. It doesn't work. Sorry, y'all won't know that scripture. Tune in next week. Let's see if I can pull it up. No. Oh, I know exactly what happened. Did you hear the computer a while ago make a racket? <laughs> Siri went off. <laughs> uh, there it is. 1 Timothy 1.12 I was reading this verse of Scripture. This was not long after she had done that. I read this verse. Paul said this about himself said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me. That's grace. For that, now this was it, for that he counted me faithful. Man, I tell you, that just, that just rang in my ears. Because Paul didn't say, the Lord said I was faithful. No, he said, he counted me that way. Paul may have been fouling things up by the numbers, but he said, he counted me faithful. And when I read that, said he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Well, I knew I was called into the ministry. So he must have counted me faithful, even, I, even though I felt like an absolute disaster. He was counting me faithful. And I read that verse of Scripture, and I decided that day, well, if he's counting me faithful, I think I will be. <laughs> and from that point on I began to identify with being faithful from that point on I made a switch between Simon and Peter did you get it and when you begin to find out who you are you're faced with binding and loosing here's what heaven says you are are you going to agree or disagree it's your choice but that, my brother and sister, is the beginning of discipleship. And that's where we are today. That's where we're headed. So, did it help you? Help me. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. As we go into 2016, Father, Cindy and I release our faith 
for everyone here today, for everyone that will listen to this on CD or by podcast. Father, as they take this journey of discipleship and begin begin to build a new identity in their spirit of who you say they are. Father, I thank you that that seed will begin to grow and multiply and increase. Just like Carl was saying earlier, 365 days from today, you won't even be able to recognize who we are. We will be so changed and so transformed and so different and so disciplined to the things of the Word and of the Spirit that people will say, my, 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 what, what made you so different? You're, you're nowhere, nowhere what or who you used to be. And we can share. And so, Father, we release our faith for everyone that makes that decision and that choice. That from this day forward, we will all be different. Father, we thank you for it. And we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen.